You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 19. And then you can also flip over to Ephesians 5. We are starting a new series today that we are calling Bring Back the Mixtape. And I'm calling it Bring Back the Mixtape because back in the day, before songs were digital, we were, and even before CDs were created, all we had was the cassette tape. And really the only good thing about the cassette tape is that you could essentially create your own playlist on a blank cassette tape and you would record a song off the radio or maybe from a, another tape deck to you know, the new uh, tape. And what you would essentially do is if you were dating somebody, the, the popular thing kind of to do is you would create your little your mix of love songs that were kind of like your songs, you know, and then uh, you would give that to that special, you know, person that you were dating. And, and so the, the, the mixtape was kind of the early days of that relationship. Now, how many of you 40 and older ever created a mixtape? Let me see you guys in the room. All over. There we go. Uh, the mixtape was a big deal. And the mixtape essentially uh, helps us kind of go back to those early days. I was cleaning out my attic and I came across a shoebox that had some like old memorabilia when Mike and I first started dating. And, and uh, sure enough, I came across that mixtape that I had created for her in those early days. And I mean, it just made me like think about how perfect she was or how perfect I thought she was in those early days. And just kind of reminded me of, of how in that moment, I didn't feel like she could do anything wrong. I felt like she was absolutely perfect, and all those feels just kind of started to come back into my mind. And, and so in this series, I want the married couples to really go back to those early days. Go back to the early days when you were creating the mixtapes, and, and you couldn't wait to see her, and she couldn't wait to see you. Go back to those days when, you know, when you first touched hands, you thought, oh, we just touched hands, you know? It was that first kiss. It was, you couldn't wait to go pick her up. You couldn't wait to go do things. You were, you were younger in those days, right? And you didn't have kids, and so you had more freedom. Uh, you probably had more money without all those kids. And, you know, we, we just remember that early time when, when all of those feelings, when all of those emotions were there. You probably created some nicknames for each other. Anybody want to share some nicknames this morning? <laughs> like Schmoopy and... Pookie Bear, or whatever it was. You had some people in the room who probably like, uh, you, you probably created like the, 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 the uh, scrapbook of your dating experience. Any scrapbookers create a scrapbook? Anybody want to admit to that? Shame on you. I mean, come on. Over the edge, too far. But really, in those early days, there were some amazing feelings, some incredible, exciting times. Now, some of you might say the best time of your life, when you were first falling in love, they could do no wrong. Can you, can you grasp that with me? Are you there, married people? Let's think about that for a moment. Let's understand it for a moment. You couldn't see some of the red flags that were there, right? You, you, you thought, yeah, the quirky laugh is funny, but surely she'll get over that, right? You thought, wow, he eats a lot. I guess he's still a growing boy. <laughs> surely he won't eat like this later on, right? We didn't see any of that because we were so in love. You had a song, and that song was your song, right? And when that song played on the radio, you stared into each other's eyes, and it was love, right? Go back to that moment. Put aside you're mad at him today. Put aside that 
you know, she irritated you this week. Put aside the fact that maybe you're going through some issues and let's just think for a second about that early time. Are you with me? Here's the reality. The reality for you and I, we've got to realize that these emotions in the very beginning stages were never going to be enough to carry our marriage into happiness. Those feelings, those emotions just aren't enough to sustain your marriage. They never were intended to do so. And listen, the fact that those feelings are gone does not mean that you married the wrong man. Does not mean that you married the wrong woman. You see, the moment that you get married, both of you start to change. I mean, it's immediately. And there's no way for us to really predict what those changes are going to be. We don't know how this person is going to change. We really don't know this person at all, really, until we actually commit to each other in marriage. But listen, the greatest marriages have learned that you've got to constantly create a new mix. You have to constantly change. You have to constantly re-fall in love all over again with the person that you have married because change happens so much. And and life has a way of of throwing adversity in our way and throwing trials in our way. And and you and I as a married couple, we, we have to understand that we can cling to the past and think about, oh, it's not how it used to be or or it's not what you know I thought it was gonna be. Or we can decide to create a new future by creating a new mix. And when you have the mentality that we're gonna constantly work on this, we're gonna constantly create a new mix, we're gonna constantly uh, fall in love with each other and commit to that love, then, then you begin to actually enjoy your marriage. And see, this is the greatest, like, way that you could have a a, a happy, fulfilling life in marriage is by actually enjoying the person that you married. Over the years, you're going to go through seasons of change. You're going to go through all kinds of adversity, and you're going to have to learn to love your spouse all over again. And so I can cling to the past. We can cling to, man, it's not what it used to be. Or we can say, you know what, we're going to constantly be working on this and moving forward. You see, the old mix cannot, it will not, it could not ever be enough to sustain you. So in this series, we're going to bring back the mixtape. We're, we're going to create a new mix to refresh our marriage so that we can actually enjoy it. Are you with me? The first thing we've got to do is we've got to realize a couple of things. First of all, for good to start, bad must end. So for good to start in your marriage today, some bad things need to end. And so let's just think for a minute about what are the bad things that are kind of going on in your marriage. Uh, Is somebody being neglected? Uh, Are you uh, not working on the issues and you're just ignoring them? Uh, Why are you fighting so much? Why aren't you working together as a team? Why are you not enjoying sex together anymore? Like these are questions that if you want to grow, uh, then you're going you're gonna to have to wrestle with and, and, and start to think about why are these things not working? Maybe there are some bad habits that you've picked up, or maybe there are just some sinful habits that you need to confess and you need to you turn from. You know, the reality is the only model that we kind of have about marriage is our parents, and so if, if it was a great marriage, we have, you know, a, a good example. But if it wasn't a good marriage, then we have a bad example. And, and, and the point, though, is that when we get married, 
good or bad, we just tend to pick up the same tendencies that our parents had. The same bad habits, we pick them up. The way that they speak to each other, we pick that up. We just thought, hey, that's just how marriage goes. And so we have to understand that maybe that wasn't the right way. Maybe that's not real marriage at all. Some bad things need to end. Secondly, you can't have a good marriage until you understand what a good marriage is. Like, come on. We can't have a good marriage until we actually know what a good marriage is supposed to be. If your standard is, our marriage is better than my parents, I mean, that's not good enough. If your standard is, well, the guy at work's been married three times and he's miserable with his fourth wife, it's better than his. (laughs) Like, Like, that's not good enough, is it? We want a healthy, growing marriage. We want to model this to our kids. We want them to see what it looks like. We want to model this to other young couples in our church so that they can experience a healthy marriage as well. So it's not just about your health. It's about the health of your kids, your grandkids, and those that you're in relationship around you. Next, we also need a new mix. The old mix won't last. The old mix can't sustain you. So as great as those emotions are, as great as those feelings are, they're not going to sustain your marriage. They're not going to last. Don't be surprised if your husband is holding your hand today and your heart is not palpitating, right? You're not breaking out in a sweat anymore when he puts his arm around you. You're really catching a whiff of his armpit. That's about the only thing, right? But back in the day, that was like, woo, not anymore, It doesn't mean anything necessarily is wrong. It just means that, hey, we got to create a new mix. So the title of today's message is More Than a Feeling, right? Because here's the reality. Happiness in marriage is more than a feeling. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. And today I want to talk about specifically two areas of what what marriage really is, two vital truths about marriage that I think will change the way that you view your marriage and kind of give us a framework for how we can move forward as a couple, no matter where you're at. If things are great or if things are not so great today. And and I want to dive into this and talk about this today to help us move in this direction. So what is marriage? What is marriage? The first thing that I would say is this. Marriage is a covenant between a man, a woman, and God. I know, very simple, right? But I feel like in our culture today, we've got to start from, from, from step one. So it's a, it's a covenant between man, a woman, and God. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read from Matthew 19 today because Jesus gives us some really clear definitions of what marriage looks like and what it's supposed to be. So let's start in verse three. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen It says this, some Pharisees came up to him, to Jesus, and tested him by asking him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Let's just pause there for a second. Again, here in this verse and elsewhere in the first covenant or the old covenant and in the New Testament, We see over and over and over again that God created two complementary genders, a woman and a man, right? And that is where marriage begins. A man and a woman 
only a man, only a woman, one man, one woman in the confines of this union called marriage. And it also says that God is the one created him. So again, we just want to just make the comment that even though uh, college students, high school students, you're being taught in science class that evolution is, is a reality and this is, this is true, it is in fact a theory. And in fact, we would suggest and know from a scriptural standpoint that it is a demonic theory. We did not evolve from apes or a blob of tissue. God breathed life into Adam. He breathed life into Eve and created us in his image. And then he allowed us to join together in a beautiful covenantal union, one flesh union that he calls marriage. Verse five, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. He says, they were never supposed to do that, but because of your hardness of heart, he allowed it. It was sin, but you're not supposed to end it, Jesus says. Verse nine, and he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. <laughs> Verse 11, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. Let's just pause there for a minute. A couple of things um, that we see here. I, I think the one flesh union is so important. It's, it's really the essence of marriage. And it requires a sacrificial commitment that we make for the good of the other person, for our sp spouse. So this, this one flesh covenant relationship that we've entered to gives us the essence that it is not just a love based on feeling and what I feel like doing. It is a commitment, a covenant that we have made to our spouse and to God that says, I am now in this relationship and I am sacrificing of what I need, sacrificing of what I want, and I am in fact making decisions based on what is good for you. Based on popular opinion, uh, love is not an uncontrollable force. Now listen, young people, love is not this you know, uncontrollable force that causes you to fall in love with someone and then out of love with someone could be one of the biggest lies the enemy has ever told the American culture. You can marry and, and have feelings for someone, create mixtapes for them, and, 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 you know, two weeks later, those feelings are gone. You know, so love is not this, this ancient force that's causing and making us do things. When we decide to marry someone, we are deciding that we are going to love them. We are going to commit to them. And in the text, he gives us two parts that, that I think are huge uh, when it comes to marriage. The first part is he says that a man and a woman must leave and then hold fast. The King James Version would say, leave and cleave. So the, the man is supposed to leave the emotional um, dependency that he might have upon his parents he is to leave 
the fact that he is loyal first and foremost to his parents, and then he cleaves, he joins with his new bride. So that now he is loyal to her first. His priority is her. Um, His dependency in a healthy way is with her and not on mommy, right? Ladies, same is true. Um, I am to detach from my mom and my dad and that dependency and that loyalty, and I am to cleave to, join fast with my, your husband. And so I just kind of feel that there are probably some couples in the room today that have missed that very foundational passage of Scripture where Jesus is saying your spouse should be your priority, not what your mother wants. Somebody in here needed to hear that today. That doesn't mean you have to move away and be mean or to neglect. No, 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 no. There's still a relationship. You're still, you know, in your life. But the emotional dependency and the loyalty must change. You leave and you cleave. And then secondly, what we see here is that God intends for marriage to be permanent. It says what God has joined together, let not man separate. So when we make this covenantal promise to one another, we are saying, I promise to love, cherish, honor, till death do us part, and we are looking at our spouse. And I've never done this, but maybe I should start doing this. Like before you say that to your, you know, the, your bride, look into the sky and make that commitment to God, because that's essentially what we're doing. God, I promise to love, cherish, and honor her till death do us part, because it's a commitment that I make to him, and it's a horizontal commitment that I make with her. When you think about the history of America and kind of the, the way in which um, marriage has kind of gone through a lot of different changes, I think it's helpful to kind of think in terms of some things today. And so back in the early 1900s, so we're talking the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you had a commitment at that time. Better turn on the light so you can see what I'm doing. You had a commitment in the 20s, 30s, 40s. This big circle represents the covenant of marriage. And so we, we, we had a, a, a generation of people that were like, hey, marriage is for the long haul. We're married. We're going to do this. You had a man. You had a woman, right? And they were mostly committed to the institution and the covenant side. It was more of a functional marriage. It was more of a functional relationship. So it was almost like, hey, I want to have kids. We, brother needs some help on the farm, so we need some kids around here, Right? We need some help with the family business, so we, we have kids. And traditionally, the, the woman would stay inside the house and take care of the house. The man would stay outside of the house and take care of the farm. And I think of my grandparents, and this is really kind of how they rolled. This is like how they did life. It was not necessarily a relationship that thought about, worked on, or dealt with the relationship at all. There was no commitment to, honey, how do you feel today? Or, you know, honey, what can I do to help you? There were expectations. You had to meet those expectations. They were just essentially living together and functioning together as a team to take care of life, right? They went through the Great Depression. These were hardcore people, right? Love them to death. They had the commitment to the covenant. They did not have the commitment to the relationship. Therefore, (laughs) it was a pretty unhealthy in a lot of ways, not enjoyable marriage. Fast forward, now we're, we're getting into the 60s and the 70s, and what did we start to see in the 60s and 70s? Well, 
we started to see a rebellious spirit develop in America that saw the institution of marriage, the covenant side of marriage, as a barrier to love and to freedom. And so you had an individual, you had another individual, and you had the covenant, and they thought it was a barrier. Free love, man. How you, you know, I just love you, you love me. What we need to do is just focus on love together. What we need to do is just feel what, what feels good to us, feels good, let's do it. And so the idea was that, okay, this is a generation that's gonna start focusing more on the relationship, right? Because it's about love. You love me, I love you, let's get together. Love is the answer, right? But this idea was not based on a covenant. It was really based on how you made me feel. So you make me feel good about myself. I love you. I like how you make me laugh, so it feels like we work together. I like some of the things you have, and when some of those things touch some of my things, it feels good, so I like you, right? Maybe we're made for each other, but what we see in that type of mentality is that love, or so-called love, was all about how you make me feel. And so people started to develop a cohabitation type of mentality. And the cohabitation mentality really answered the question or asked the question, how is this working for me? How is this relationship, if I'm married, how is my marriage working for me? That was the question. So when you dive into it, how you make me feel is not really based on a commitment to grow relationally or to even really care about the relationship. It was really kind of all focused on self. It's all self-driven. They can, say, they can sing all the songs they want. You know, they can say all the things about love they want. But at the end of the day, it was all about what I wanted and how you made me feel. And so for the first time in American history, you started to see people getting divorces. So that in the 80s and the 90s, divorce became very common. So today, you know, over 50% of marriages will end in divorce. And so this cohabitation mindset in our culture says if the marriage doesn't work out, I always have the option of divorce. And as long as divorce is on the table in your relationship, nothing can be healthy. Because there's always an escape route. In an argument, as, as it heats up, there's always that slight comment that just may, might fly out of your mouth that says, well, maybe we just weren't meant for each other. Or maybe, like, this just isn't going to work and we just need to divorce. But I think the kind of relationship that God is calling us to, one that, that would honor him and one that would actually bring enjoyment into our life, is one in which we understand the covenant. So big circle here representing the covenant. We understand that marriage is a commitment between God and my spouse, and I am committed to this. So divorce is off the table. And then you have a, you have a man and you have a woman inside the confines of this relationship that together experience a one flesh union. This is where we are able to come together in a powerful way that honors the covenant and that also honors the fact that we're gonna grow together. We're committed to the relationship together. And see, we need both. 
We, we don't want to err on this side and just be, oh, well, we're married, we can't get divorced, and we're just going to stick it out. And we don't want to be here, free love, it's just, we're, no, 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 no. We got to understand what Jesus says here, a covenant and a commitment to grow together. This is huge for us, and, and this understanding can change our mindset when it comes to marriage. I think parents instinctually kind of understand the power of covenant relationship. I mean, I've got four kids. Three of them are teenagers. Um, there can be some tense moments, to say the least, in our house. And so um, when, when my kids act out, when they, you know, are, are rebelling or doing something wrong, uh, it never has crossed my mind to say on the grounds of irreconcilable differences, get out of my house. Right? I've thought it a few times, but I've never, <laughs> never said it. No. No, as a parent, I would never think in terms of divorcing my children. Why? Because I am in a covenant relationship with them. They are my children. I will love them every second of my life and, and beyond. And so why in the world would I use a word with my wife that I would never use with my kids? In other words, why would I allow the word divorce to enter into my relationship with my wife. You see, we've got to get it off the table. And when you do, you can actually then begin to work on the relationship. Now, in verse uh, 9, Jesus raises a question for us. He says, divorce is a sin. If you remarry, it's adultery. That's hard for some of us to, to, to realize. But he does give an exception here in verse 9. He says, if there is marital unfaithfulness, in other words, if there is sexual immorality in that relationship, then you have the freedom to divorce your spouse. That's the exception that, that he gives. Uh, later in 1 Corinthians 7, 15, Paul gives us another exception. And he says, if, if a believer is married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever uh, essentially um, leaves you, if that unbeliever um, actually abandons you, then Paul says, let them go. Just, just, just let them go. You're, you're free to divorce in that case as that unbelieving spouse leaves you. Now, it's not commanded that we have to do that, but it is a, 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 an allowance. And so the question then is, what about those who divorced and then remarried and their divorce wasn't biblical? What do we do? Should we in this new marriage, should we end it? And I would say, well, first and foremost, what, what I think has to happen is in that initial marriage, you know, it didn't end biblically, but have you genuinely confessed that as sin? Have you genuinely sought repentance? Have you genuinely said, God, I am sorry, this was wrong? Have you genuinely experienced and, 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 and run to the cross of Jesus to receive that forgiveness? And if you have done that, then you apply the blood of Jesus from the cross and say that I am forgiven. And so in this new relationship, I believe that God would say, stay married and make it awesome. Don't end and break up another marriage based on this. And we don't want to just, we don't want to just give up and run from a marriage today and just ask for forgiveness later. That mentality, God's not going to honor. But if the realization now is I messed up, God forgive me, then receive that grace and mercy today and stop carrying around the shame of failed relationships and focus on a new relationship that can and will bring honor to God and that can and will bless your children. So Jesus also raises a question about being single. Uh, they, they ask the question, man, 
this is going to be extremely difficult, Jesus. Maybe it's better that we just don't get married, right? I mean, our minds kind of go to that. Maybe that's just the answer. And, and Jesus clarifies something, and he says, listen, that, that, that's going to require a special gift. Some will be given the gift of singleness. And if you're single in the room today, I would encourage you to pray about it and think about, is God giving me the gift of singleness that I would have more time to focus on the mission of God and I would not be married. And, and some may have that. Um, the Apostle Paul teaches in the New Testament that if you burn with passion, then that's a pretty clear sign that you need to find a woman and marry her. So all the guys are like, I need to find a woman right now. Where is she at? Look around. They're here. I encourage you to find them here, by the way. Not out there. In here. And so uh, Jesus says, only a few people are going to be given the gift of singleness. Very, very, very few but, but it does remain. Now, this is where I feel like the Catholic Church has botched this in incredibly wrong ways because they essentially tell their priests that, you know, you have to pray for the gift of celibacy and you have to remain celibate. And, and um, you know, God doesn't call everybody to do that. And so you, you know the adverse effects of how the enemy has used that temptation and that to, to cause havoc and sinfulness in, in our culture. And I think it's a terrible thing. And we have to understand biblically um, what Jesus is telling here. So let's recap. Marriage is a covenant between a man, a woman, and God. It's a sacrificial love for the benefit of your spouse. It's permanent, and we've got to be committed to the covenant, and we've got to be committed to the growth of the relationship. Both are important here. Secondly, if you're taking notes, we have to understand that God created marriage to help you grow spiritually. Let this set in for a minute. You are married, and you have been given an opportunity here. Because here how is how your spouse helps you. Your spouse, with pinpoint accuracy, can identify, identify how you are not perfect. She's really gifted and talented at reminding and showing you your flaws. And guess what, guys? You have been gifted as well with being able to point out the flaws in her as well. Now, we, have, we laugh at this. But essentially, iron sharpens iron. And if we are humbly serving each other, then we are open to the direction of this is sinful, this is hurtful, we need to change this, and we work on it together. And so in a marriage, you have an incredible opportunity to grow spiritually. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Ephesians 5, one of the most popular passages on marriage in the Bible, specifically gives us some roles that I want to identify today, and I want us to look at. We're going to start in verse 21 of Ephesians 5, where the Apostle Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he starts by saying, there will be a mutual submission in your marriage. I'm going to submit to Micah, and I'm going to say, honey, what, what do you think in this? And she's going to submit to me, and she's going to say, what do you need? And I'm going to, you know, there's give and take. But then he goes into specific roles of, of, of how this is really fleshed out in the family. Verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, Powerful things happening here. So, yes, mutual submission, but then there are some significant um, details into how 
the family is actually supposed to play itself out. And he says very specifically that men are to be the spiritual leaders of their home. Now, if you are a husband, you are a father, would you please stand to your feet? All the husbands, all the, all the dads stand to your feet today. Over 40 guys, stand slowly. I don't want you to hurt yourself. As a man, the follower of Jesus, you have been given this incredible opportunity to lead your family spiritually. You have been given the responsibility not to be the bully or the boss, but to lovingly, gently, sacrificially, humbly, lovingly serve and lead your family. You have been given this opportunity not to wrongly think that the church is here to um, make your kids spiritual or to feed them spiritually. The church can certainly help, but it is your responsibility. You are your family's first pastor. Schools can help educate your children, but it is our primary responsibility to educate our children. The government and police officers can help our children understand the laws of the land, but it is our role as the men and the leaders of our family to teach our kids how to obey and follow the law. It is not the church's job to do this. It is your job to do this. Do you open your Bible with your family? Do you pray openly with your family? Have you helped your wife find community in God's church? Our kids' ministry is filled with women. Do you know that, this is not gonna surprise you, but that churches all over the nation are filled with women and very few men. Women serve more, they attend more, they come when they're single, whereas single men do not. They give more. In our ministries, we have very few men in our children's ministry investing into the lives of young people. We have, by the grace of God, a lot of great guys involved in our student ministry, but I can tell you that very few are over the age of 40. Men, we need those wise, older men investing into the next generation. First and foremost, your wife and your children, and then it should and must flow into the community of our church. The three most important questions you will ever help your wife and your children answer. Number one, who will we worship? Who will you worship? You were called to lead them to lovingly give their life to Jesus and sacrifice everything in their life to honor and serve him. And by the way, that means we've got to honor and we have to model that to them. Secondly, we need to teach them and show them where are we going to worship? We are not going to be a kangaroo and hop from this church to that church. We're not going to hop to the lake and the ball field and then, oh, let's go. We got an open week. Let's go to church. We are going to lead them to attend and connect to and be involved in a community of believers that serve the gospel, that love Jesus, and are on mission for the Great Commission. And then finally, we help them answer the question, who will you marry? Who will you marry? Do not let your daughter or your son date an unbeliever. Do not let them date anyone that you have not given approval for. 100% of the time, we marry those that we date. So if you are unhappy with someone that they are dating, it is your job to lovingly have the conversations to move them into an opportunity to make a change. Men, we have this opportunity. It is an amazing 
role that we fulfill. And you can do this. And I know that you're thinking, Trent, I did not have a good uh, father, I, or maybe I did, but he didn't lead like this. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I'm a little overwhelmed. And I can tell you, welcome to the club. That's part of it. We don't always know the answer. As a spiritual leader, it doesn't mean that you know everything and that you have all the answers. It means that you're going to pray about it and you're going to lovingly, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, make the decision and go for it. You are in a great church and a great opportunity to understand your calling, to serve him, and to understand what it means to follow him as a spiritual leader in your home. I want to pray for you guys. And as we pray, I want to encourage you. Put one hand over your heart. Let's lift one hand into the sky. And as a sign of submission and humility to God, I want you to receive this prayer and receive this blessing. Let's do it together. Father God, the men in this room, Lord, I pray for them. I ask, Lord, that, that as, as we feel our heart beating, that you would make our heart beat for the things of God. Help our heart to be encouraged and excited and, and just passionate about the word of God. Grow that passion in our life, Jesus. Minister to our families, Lord. We are not perfect, and we have failed so many times. And so many days we feel inadequate. But Lord, we trust and pray for your grace. We trust that you are going to provide, that you are gonna give growth, that you are gonna give victory. And no matter where we're at in our spiritual life today, God, you are growing us, you are moving us. And as the primary pastor of my family, we wanna commit our heart to you today, Jesus. Fill us, change us, and grow us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies, let's give a round of applause for all these men. You guys can have a seat. Wives, this in no way diminishes your role at all. Um, but honestly, uh, we just feel like the men need this more. <laughs> because if men will start leading as leading families and, and marriages as, as Christ loves the church, we'll have a stronger family, we'll have a stronger church, we'll have stronger ministries. Heck, we'll have a stronger nation. And so it's on us men to lead our families with love and with grace. Now, I love the Bible. I hope you read it more. Uh, I know I need to do it more, but when I read it, I love it. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 28. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Now, the Greek translation for the word many is a lot of stinking problems. That's right from, the, that's right from my Greek lesson, a lot, right? So we're not surprised when we face adversity, we're not surprised when troubles come our way, but again, this allows us an opportunity for spiritual growth. The adversity will lead us to deeper relationships if we allow it to. If we're humbly leading through the, the power of the Holy Spirit, through, through this we'll understand and we'll be able to grow in our love for Him. And together we'll be able to experience maturity together. Now, here's the bottom line. Take this, write it down commit it to each other today. Your spouse needs to know that forever means forever. And spiritual growth means growth together. I want you to go home today, say this at lunch, say this at dinner, have this conversation with your spouse and say, honey, I want you to know, I, just want, I know you know this maybe, but I want to tell it to you again. Forever means forever. Like I am committed to the covenant relationship, the promise that I made to you and the promise that I made to God. 
And spiritual growth for me means growth together. We're gonna do this together. I'm not where I need to be. I know that. Pray for me. Like, let's, let's work through this together. Your wife needs to understand and know both of those truths are reality for you. And, to, and, and, and as we close, I want us to think about two questions. What needs to stop in your marriage so that you can begin something new? What needs to stop in your marriage? Think about it today. Maybe the fighting just needs to stop. It's super immature. You hurt each other's feelings. It doesn't help anything. It just causes more pain. Why do we do that? What needs to stop in your marriage? Are you, you, do you have a bad habit that you keep running to? Do you, you keep running to a bad habit that, that just kind of leads you further and further away from your spouse? What needs to stop? For good to start, bad's got to end. Next question, who or what do you need to walk away from? Maybe there's a relationship and you're not like cheating in your mind, but there's like a lot of flirting and there's a lot of texting and there's some, some social media DMs going on. And is it time? I would say yes, to walk away from something that is extremely dangerous. Don't miss next Sunday. It could kill your life. You don't walk away from a bad habit, guys. I mean, you, are you engaged in pornography to, to, to the extent that, that this is something that you're running to? And I just tell you, man, it is killing your relationship. You don't think it's bothering anybody because nobody knows, but the reality is the Spirit of God knows. You know. You're looking at your wife like you would look at these images. They treat each other like animals, and then you're, you're down on your wife for not acting like an animal. Like, this is so not how it's supposed to be. The enemy has just got his, his claws in your mind and in your heart. It's, pro- it's, it's time to walk away. I hope you do that. You could probably create a list today, what you need to walk away from, what you need to stop doing in your marriage. Create that list. Talk about it tonight. You're like, honey, this is, this is what I'm thinking. This is where I'm at. This is what's going on. Begin to move in that direction of honoring each other. Here's the challenge for you to do, every single one of us, all the married couples. Pray with your spouse every single day this week. So for the next seven days, I want you to make this commitment. Some of you already do it, and that's great. But for the next seven days, commit to pray together. And I'm not just talking about lunch and dinner prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Bless our bodies. Amen. I'm talking about, honey, we're praying together before we go to bed, before we leave for work. If your husband's out of town, you talk on the phone and pray together. It doesn't have to be a 30-minute like prayer. Some of you are like, I don't know how to pray, man. You are putting me on the spot right now. She's going to want this to happen. Just make it a 20-second prayer. Just say, God, I'm not who I need to be. Help us to grow. We love you. Amen. Make it simple. Start somewhere. doesn't have to be beautiful or eloquent. Make the commitment to pray together. If you're dating somebody, I want you to pray for your future spouse every day this week. Let's pray for future spouses for you. Don't pray with your girlfriend and boyfriend. That's too intimate. Don't do that. You're not ready for that. Let's pray for future. Pray for yourself that you would become the future person that you need to be in order to be ready for that future person. Whatever it is, I just believe God's going to do some incredible things in this series. And so I hope you come back. Bring your friends. This is a great series to invite our friends to. uh, Because honestly, I don't care how long you've been married. We all need help. So I hope this has been helpful. Let's pray together. Father, 
We thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for reminding us, God, that our commitment and our covenant is not just to my spouse, but it was to you as well. And so it should mean something more. Help us to take that commitment seriously, but also help us to take the commitment to grow relationally seriously. God, we just don't want to be in a marriage and, and just live together. We actually, God, we want to grow together. Experience your truth and love. Experience and enjoy each other. As our kids grow up and they leave our house, God, we don't want to just not know the person that we now live with. We want to, we want to enjoy that season of our life. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to identify sin, remove it from our life, confess it to you, and reignite our passion for our spouse Pray for the young people, the single people in the room. God, keep them pure. Keep them on a path that leads them to spiritual health and growth. God, we praise you and we love you. Speak to us in this series. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.